with the old familiar lyrics to open the program up here on Wednesday, May the 15th is the due date, Roger Sales at this point here alone, but Paul's going to be joining us shortly. Uh, the Radio Ranch is the name of our program when the People's Patriot Network, of course, our little fledgling little platform, glad to have it, tickled to death with what we're able to do here. Uh, and to, to reach out and touch folks. And I know there's folks listening all over the world, literally, because when something happens, I hear from them. <laughs> so anyway, and I'm glad you're out there. And uh, I know that if you don't getting something out of the time we spend together, you probably wouldn't spend time over here. So whether you're listening live and you're able to manipulate, you got your schedule to a point where you're able to do that, or whether you might catch the replay in the evening or even, even go over to castbox.fm and catch one of the archives. I'm tickled to death to have you along. Uh, of course, as is our habit on Wednesdays, and I really look forward to them, uh, we generally have Paul with us from the start. Um, he evidently had to, he was told me earlier that he wasn't, he thought he'd check in in the second hour. Uh, and uh, then he just beat me a little bit ago and said he'd be in about 10, 15 minutes and traffic wasn't as bad as he had anticipated or maybe it normally is. Uh, so we'll be glad to welcome Paul in. A few things I wanted to talk about and had kind of queued up, I guess that's the term, queued up to discuss topical stuff. Um, maybe an article that is interesting or two, relatively brief to read. But I think the first place to plunge off here into today is what happened Monday. You know, Monday we were shorted by 30 minutes on that excellent, excellent program we had Monday. Uh, Daryl got in on his false dialectic thing. We got into the dialectical message in depth and and uh, uh, had a very spirited um conversation and John came on Bitcoin's rising you know got halfway through that hour and zap juice is gone and boy when the juice goes I mean it just all goes you know lights everything so um, I went in and went to sleep I knew that I had that show scheduled on Monday at some point with Paul's compadres compañeros you call them in Spanish um Graham and, and Brian and but I'd not heard from them and I'd forgotten what time their show was on so I went in and frustrated with no electricity couldn't do anything couldn't finish the program um, that usually frustrates the pee waddling out of me okay um, I went and took a little nap woke up about three and boom I'm sitting around I'd forgotten all about it I figured we just missed it with the electricity off and bam he calls and says well all right we'll be on in 30 minutes and so I got geared up but it was an interesting because of that setup I was extremely relaxed even probably more so than usual I'm pretty usually relaxed on, on the air but that one uh, and it's a first impression presentation over there with their audience some probably familiar with what we do here, but more than likely most not. And it just flowed really well, I thought. And um, 
by golly, I heard back from a couple of you that you thought it flowed real well too. And um, so what I've got a message into Brian now, and we can find out a little more from Paul. I think he was listening and see if they've gotten any reaction to that. But what I'd like to do is looking back on it, and I'm very critical. Wow, look at that. There it comes. I, I knew somebody would bring us those wonderful tones because we don't have anybody hooked up yet. And the first person that calls in, you get them. Hey, Chris, how you doing? We're waiting on Paul right now. Um, I was just telling well, you. Good morning. Good morning. Doing pretty well, although I am a little, um, let's say, anxious about my so-called upcoming show trial today with the traffic commissions are uh, Cynthia Lung in courtroom 5A here at the Clark County Municipal Justice Center, supposedly. And at what, a que hora is esta reunión? And that's in Spanish. At what hour is the meeting? Uh, 2 o'clock p.m. is what I'm told, and I have advised numerous people, and there could be a few courtroom watchers in there to uh, authenticate the so-called process, which I'm sure will be corrupt because the judge is continually aiding the bit of the prosecution from the bench as they are prone to do in an inquisitorial star chamber, uh, cruel trial in a sort of court. Well, you know, in situations like this, it's, it's a little bit cumbersome in this respect, is that we probably got people that don't know about the predicate here and what has led up to this and several years of just... Well, I mean, let's face it, I living your life vicariously, you know, secondhand, hell, I'm miserable for you, okay, because I know what you've been through and <laughs> what we've been through on this for so long, but is this where they pulled you over that day and you had the cup of water and he pulled you off and thinking all that stuff that day when you're leaving the chiropractor? Is this a continuation? This is okay, that's the same this one. Is a, this is actually, yeah. Actually, I think in my best assessment, what this is, is the city or the other agents of the uh, county and the municipality, the prosecution, uh, all of them allied together, the county commission's people, because of their immense liability from the first dismissed false arrest, false incarceration for about 71 days and a couple of uh, egregious, abusive, violent assaults by agents and actors acting outside scope, sphere, and color of law and becoming outlaws, uh, that would be enhancing and expanding the punitive measures under Title 18 RICO. Uh, treble damages are usually dictated there. And because it's my golden years of my senior life, being a senior ADA man, uh, it may exacerbate exponentially the amount of liabilities that they enjoy with their uh, Pinkertonite violative assimilation of federal, state, local, municipal, and corporate powers to commit war in violation of Ex parte Milligan against a civilian population. Yeah, they're kind of doing that. Um, and, well, I'll be, I, I myself and, of course, all the rest of the audience will be very anxious to hear what happens as that transpires for you today and we wish you the best i know you'll be a little bit nervous you can't you can't help but be nervous going into that scenario especially when you know at least one of the spotlights is shining on your butt okay but you've had enough time and grade at it and you're comfortable enough with the information uh that i'm sure that that wouldn't be anywhere near 
like it would be the average person that gets thrown into one of those court situations. And that's why I really, you know, that's part of the, what I do this with such zeal for, Chris, is to try and reach out and hopefully get a hold of somebody's ears that, that will listen before they get into that crap. Because if you can give a clean slate, I believe... I can't attest to, but it sure seems like the way everything works and the results that we've had over eight years of doing this, that if you dot those I's and cross those T's correctly from the start, you totally negate their forces. Well, I totally agree with you. Pardon the noise, but... uh... It certainly appears that being proactive rather than reactive is a far better position for one to adopt well, than trying I, to, uh, after the fact, make up. Make well, offense is always the best defense. Um, but, and I had something on my mind, and I just lost it. It was important, too. But, you know, this is um, it's just so important. Um and we're we're making progress. I was just getting when you called in. I was talking about, and here comes Paul right here, and he can join this conversation. Uh, there's our buddy. Hey, Paul, you made it. You made it. Well, I made something. <laughs> yeah, I did. I'm here. Yeah, good, good to good. be with you. I just, I just, I was just listening to the last to the minute there. So uh, okay. yeah, I made it. Well, oh. I, I was just going to launch into this, and you're at least involved with this. I was talking just a bit at the start of the show waiting for you and things to start rolling uh, about this show that I did Monday night with Graham and uh, and Brian over there and what led up to oh, it. And, mind. And, and the fact, I, did you listen to any of that or whatever at all? I mean, you... I caught, I caught bits of it. I did. I caught bits of it on and off. I wasn't a, I wasn't a consistent listener, uh-huh. um, uh, but I caught bits of it on and off. Well, yeah. Some of our some of our regular group evidently listened to that show and got back with me, and I thought right. particularly that I was real comfortable that night because just the way that it unfolded, uh, what had happened earlier in the day, my loss of electricity. I thought that the show wasn't going to happen. Maybe I'd missed it with the electricity being down. And so when they got a hold of me and said, we're going to be on in a few minutes, I was very, very at ease, all right? And I'd spoken with Brian before uh, about 10 days ago for an hour and a half, and so we had a little bit of a rapport built. And it just, as I look back on it, I just felt like it was a real good basic presentation for people that they could get the basics easily. So I shot Brian a message this morning asking him if I can get a copy of that because I'd like to post it up in my archives uh, over on CastBox. But I thought it was a real good show, and I was real pleased to get the feedback that I've gotten about it. Oh, that's good. No, that's great. I think actually, uh, what day are we on? Wednesday. When did did you do that? Monday. Monday Monday night. It was replayed. Just to let you know, that, that show was actually replayed uh, this morning on Eurofolk Radio from I think seven till nine, so and it'll be replayed again tonight from eleven till one in the morning. So there is a file of it. I've got a file. I could probably send you one after the okay. show to save you the trouble. So okay. there we go. A little bit of file business. And, and, and just yes. 
general housekeeping because of the frustration Monday and no having not any electricity and then the show was cut off Paul at, at about halfway through the second hour it was a particularly brisk all show right. with Daryl calling in and all kinds of dialectical conversation and false dialectics and all these things that were interesting to talk about and I know that it was an impassioned little show and but at the end of I didn't upload it but yesterday last night I uploaded it so that's available on CastBox now now, uh, castbox.fm uh, for the, it, you know that something like that had happened because it was Monday the 13th. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't think, sometimes bad things happen all the time, don't they? But yeah, I, I think obviously, you know, uh, we're going to have to send some money to uh, obviously enhance the Ecuadorian electricity system. <laughs> hey, but that's know. probably a little Bit of a big too big a task for us at the moment, but yeah, it, uh, yeah. It, it's surprising yeah. it doesn't go down more because of the automatic image that uh, pops in your mind when you say Ecuador. But it doesn't happen very often. But well, you're not sure. invoking demons by saying that. Are you? No, you don't no, do no, that. No, no, you're no, invoking no. the electricity <laughs> gods. Well, let's, let's deter <laughs> from the it. subject. It's boring anyway, and I'm glad yeah, it's behind us. Get away from um, it. How you been doing since last week, and did you have anything particularly on your mind today? Um, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, I, I've just been, I've, I've been very busy, uh, busier than I've been for quite a while doing things. So I, uh, that's one of the reasons why I was just running late today. Cause I had to catch up with things that I didn't get done over the weekend, logistical things and stuff like that. But, uh, no, I've just been busy really, uh, well, thinking through a lot of, a lot of things with regards to online radio. We've also been, um, uh, technically upgrading uh, or i should say we're kind of in the middle of it we've done the fundamental bits but there's lots of window dressing to do we're, we're upgrading Eurofoot radio and the way that that operates or at least we're attempting to let's put it that way and it's a good effort so far so things are looking better um and really just thinking about um uh, well developing a radio effort or radio uh, situation uh, to go out more to a uk audience i'm not trying to exclude people in america that's not what i mean but um uh, in fact we won't but uh, for instance, last night, uh, which was one of the reasons why it was hectic, because I didn't finish until quite late last night, um, I filled in for uh, Eli and Steve on Fake News Now last night. And um, basically, it was the uh, it was a British coup. I'm, so, I'm sorry to tell you, but <laughs> I roped in another couple of Brits and brought them onto the show for a couple of hours. And it went, it was really interesting, because the guy that we had on uh, in the first half was a chap called Adrian, who I haven't met, but I, I, I'm desperately keen to meet him because he's about 80 years of age, I understand. Um, but he's sharp as a, as a whip. And uh, he said some, he said similar things to the way that we would say them, but from a different perspective, which is always good to hear, I find. I always like that. Um, and so I'm, I'm seriously looking at how we actually get some kind of a British effort going because the whole situation here, the thing that's really on my mind because I've not been able to pay it too much attention, so it's something I've got to address and catch up on quickly over the next sort of 24, 48 hours, is this whole nonsense with European elections, Brexit, Nigel Farage, and all this other uh, bunk that's floating around, because um, the whole thing just smells of pre-planned dramatic pantomime to me. It's an absolute travesty, the whole thing. And they've got their little agenda, which is to basically turn Britain into little more than sort of like a... Uh, a council meeting within the great uh, and amazing project that is the European 
union and uh, they, they're going about it in a very crafty and sneaky way which i suppose is the only way that they can go about and do these well, things of course uh, yeah of course um, well so i notice uh, italy italy's fallen off the bandwagon uh, uh, lately but especially today i don't know you probably haven't seen some of the news that's floating around out there so this guy salvini's about to go into open warfare with brussels and i and the farage phenomena is that he has ex- he has accelerated to a level very quickly, from what I can tell, and even the it's all stage managed, uh, yeah. Roger. It's yeah. completely fixed. Okay, it's in my view totally the whole thing's junk. Right, the the reason it's junk um, is obviously one of the great tactics over here. We have parties springing up all over the place. I mean, you're used to two all the time, right? Maybe you have a third or a fourth that pops up, but it's overwhelmingly the two. Well, we have the predominant two over here, uh, the Conservatives and the Labour Party, uh, which are respectively the Republicans and the Democrats, I suppose. Um, But we've always had other parties springing up. Now, uh, what's taking place right now is not dissimilar in a way to the way that the vote for the BNP was trashed about 10 years ago. There's a party over here called the British National Party, which was kind of an offshoot, or I suppose, I I could be wrong in upsetting certain people, but it was a development of, that's still the wrong way of of expressing it, of the National Front, which was a very strong nationalist party in the 70s and 80s. And it was gaining a lot of traction. And Farage basically jettisoned himself out of the Conservative Party, set up this thing called UKIP, and hived off that vote, which, which basically subdued genuine nationalism, or at least something close to it, and uh, replaced it with UKIP, which then watered it down and dismissed the whole thing. And I believe that that's exactly what happened with the Brexit vote. What's happening now is probably even worse. You see, I just think he's in on the deal. I'm sorry, but I'm massively cynical about this. None of these guys are allowed to run around in this space and communicate anything like this unless the the path, you know, the conclusion path is already laid out. We've got this thing coming up, um, which if this Lisbon Treaty is... I don't know what the right word is. Let's, I'm going to use the word ratified. It may already have been ratified. It's certainly full of rats. If it, if it comes through in 2020, you cannot use the phrase the United Kingdom and it really mean much. There actually won't be one. I'm quite serious about this. There won't be a United Kingdom. I mean, the people in here will still call it the UK. They might still call it England and this, that and the other. But in terms of the legal force of the remnant of the nation... That will have been consumed by a thing called the Schengen Economic Region or District. We all become what's known as Schengenites, which, of course, I'm very keen on. And I think there's there's medication for that. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a book to be made. There's some ointment, some special ointment that we need. But but what's occurring is that uh, uh, we're told in the papers that he's leading the polls. Everything's going great. There's, there's a few things that really need to be understood. He doesn't have a political party. This is for the European vote, which is treasonous because we left on March the 29th, right? We left. As far as I'm concerned, we left. And um, uh, they've got no policies because even if they had policies as a political party, it won't make any difference because there won't be any requirement for political parties in Britain come 2020. I'm quite serious about this. Not in the sense that political parties will have any strength, because already most of the decision-making for this nation 
has been exported to Brussels, which is insane. I mean, our army's it gone. They're, they're building a European army, isn't that? You know, so all of these things, basically, we have this cadre of left-wing, liberal intelligentsia, sodomites and paedophiles and all sorts of other weirdos that have been in charge of this planet for quite a while at the behest of the bankers, you know, bringing about this system of global governance, which only they want. Nobody else wants it. Nobody who is it's actually pretty, given breathing space wants it at all. Pretty concise. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting. Here this morning I was listening to, and I wanted to promote it, and I plug it here for the audience in case you missed it. Over on Zero Hedge, it, when you get, they've got the main stories they list, and they've got usually three at the top. You know, uh, sometimes yeah. you can't see them I, on my on mine here lately. I can't see them till I click on an article, and when I go to an article, they're there. But uh, regardless, there's an interview up there. The middle one this morning is with Gerald Salente. I'm sure everybody in the audience knows who he is, his background, his passions and stuff. I've been watching him for years. I'm sure most of you have too. I've never seen the guy like he's in that video today. Never in all these years, man, using cuss words, throwing them around. Hell, if they can use them, I can too. I mean, he is somebody wee-weed in his Cheerios the morning he did that, okay? <laughs> so I would really advise people to go watch that because then I finished that this morning and it inspired me over coffee, okay? And then I stumbled onto a new X-22 report that just has showed up with Greg Marianero who's another guy I've watched for many years on the, on the you know, the stock expert, alt-picker alt kind of guy, very credible, and he's just a real straight-up guy, I believe, okay? I don't know if I've ever seen him as cranked up. I'm not totally finished through that one yet, but he's cranked up, right. and I can just see it all around, man. I can see the tensions building. I sent you a story. You've been out all morning. The head of the British military, I can't remember his name, G-H-I-R-I or something. Uh, he's over at a Pentagon briefing just this week, last day or two, and gets up in an open briefing and says that they don't see any of this crap that's going on with Iran and none of it is legitimate according to their sources. That's not exactly how he put it, but that's how it came across. And I wrote you in the message. Top British commander in rare public dispute with the u.s over iran intelligence this yes, one that yes, you sent me by yes. okay fantastic okay. cracks in the Super. mosaic cracks in the mosaic it's going on everywhere all right and now with trump in in depths and china going ahead and picking up the gauntlet on this trade battle uh you know, we're here. Bitcoin's been up about a little over eight grand, down to 79 something today. It's gone up. A couple, couple of months ago, Paul, when we were talking about Bitcoin, it's $3,000, 3500 bucks. It's eight grand today. Mm hmm. Okay. So, uh, you yeah. know, it's, we're here. We're right on the doorstep of what we've been waiting for for a long time, starting to unravel. Now, it's not going to. Parts of it are, are and, and Mary Nero's stressing on that interview with Dave over at the X-22 report about, and it's interesting because I've been saying this for some time, that the unraveling of the financial system is going to happen fast. 
uh, because it's taken all these years and this length of time because it's based on fraud, the leaven of the Pharisees, all the tricks, etc., etc. It's taken this so long to build. And, of course, everything's based on dialectics, and that means it's going to go down fast, like the World Trade Center's. So whenever that trigger happens, that stuff, it's going to slowly go down after that because it's so huge it doesn't turn on a dime. But whatever is going to be the trigger is going to happen real fast. So we're right there, okay? I mean, it could happen this afternoon. Well, I, I think, you know, I, <clears throat> the Bitcoin thing is, is interesting, I suppose, as an indicator. You know, half of my mind thinks, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could have actually bought some at $3,000? But the fact is, like most of us, I haven't got any disposable income to do that sort of thing. So it's an academic thing. And, I, of course, I think that the situation's so big. It is to me anyway, right? It, it's, an, it's of academic interest. It's not going to be of direct benefit to me. And I don't know quite how the whole thing's going to pan out. I'm not so well, gung-ho about it simply because, because I still don't trust where it came from. It's as simple as well, that. Well, you get uh, my point not, is, It's not about whether, it's who's in charge of it. And that's really – that. It, it always comes down to that. If you were in charge of it, Roger, I'd pay a lot more attention. Well, if you'd originate, if do you see what I'm saying? But yes, I don't, of course I, I do. Know but you got to go back to the, you know, the yeah. saying I've picked up, and I've never been in this market active trading stocks and all that stuff. But there's a real universally recognized saying in that field that says the trend is your friend. And so what you're doing is paying trends. Hell, none of us got any extra money, and the whole world doesn't have any extra money. The velocity of money is lower than it's ever been since they started keeping the charts, for God's sakes, just about, okay? And so uh, that's – but we can – point ourselves in the right direction and get started in some way, shape, or form, start to understand, start to study, start to whatever, okay? But the trend is our friend here because we understand the way the whole thing works better than any of these other economic guys. There ain't one of them that I've been able to hear or get to that understands that the people collateralize this whole thing and pay for it with your taxes, they do not know how this it's is, done. Yeah, it's true. always they make, I, money out, they make money out of thin air. I hear people say constitutional rights. People have no idea what the hell's really going on, and we do. And and that's what we got the little one-upsmanship here, brother. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um, uh, I think, I mean, I don't know. I, I never do. I, I tend to hold my tongue on it, really, because I just have to let it unfold one way or other. I mean, it's a bit like following gold prices. If, if you'd have done that for the last 40 years, you might as well, you know, it's a waste of life, as far as I'm concerned, you know, unless you're massively close to the whole thing and can actually, you know, have some capacity of financial force to leverage it. But that's just my take. I'm not saying that that's right. You know, other people have a completely different view. I understand that. I think the situation, this trade war thing, <laughs> uh, maybe we're going to have to drop the word trade very soon between uh, the U.S. and China is gonna. Um, it's getting that seriously. That's you know, if you think about all the predictions going back, blah 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 blah. I'm going, hey, up! Oh, this one's creeping up in the background. Is this, this the one that's gonna kick it all off? You know, because it feels like well, it might. Well, it that's like what, it might. They've that. always used the trade as a manipulator. That's how they've manipulated us into the civil war. 
Uh, and But I, I stumbled on, I read an article this morning by this guy. I had a chance to meet him one time when he was running for president years ago. And my running buddy, uh, David Strait, that's now deceased, was self-made millionaire. And he was contributing to all this stuff. So when they he'd be in the city and they'd have these private parties and stuff, he'd say, come on, Roger, we're going to go over and meet Pat Buchanan. So I met him several times, okay? Interesting guy. I heard him talk to private audiences. And I've always liked him. He's a uh, Knights of Malta guy and have, uh, you know, Catholic oriented. But I, he's a straight shooter in what he talks about, and he's a good writer. And he wrote this little article. I was going to read it today because we didn't think you were going to be with us. Uh, and it's about this. And, and the reason I wanted oh, to yeah, do that right, is because this is so important. It is important. And most of us don't understand this, okay? And so let me launch into this and see if I can stumble through it here. As his limo carried him to work at the White House Monday, Larry Kudlow could not have been pleased with the headline in the New York, in the Washington Post. Headline, Kudlow contradicts Trump on tariffs. The story began, National Economic Council Director Lawrence Kudlow acknowledged Sunday that American consumers end up paying for the administration's tariffs on Chinese imports, contradicting President Trump's repeated inaccurate claim that the Chinese foot the bill. The free, a free trade evangelist, Kudlow, and boy, we go into a whole program on that. A free trade evangelist, Kudlow, had conceded on Fox News that consumers pay the tariffs on products made abroad that they purchase here in the U.S. Yet that is by no means the whole story. A tariff may be described as a sales or a consumption tax the consumer pays. But tariffs are also discreditory and an optional tax. Discretionary, excuse me, are also discretionary, which they are. You don't have to buy that product. And an optional tax. If you choose not to purchase Chinese goods and instead buy comparable goods made in other nations or rarely, I'd say, the USA, then you do not pay that tariff. China loses the sale. This is why Beijing, which runs a $350 billion to $400 billion in annual trade surpluses, that's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of surplus, and they've been running them for 20 years, by the way, at our expense is howling loudest. Should Donald Trump impose that 25% tariff on all 500 billion in Chinese imports to the USA, it would cripple literally China's economy. Factories seeking assured uh, access to the U.S. market would flee in panic from the Middle Kingdom. He calls it here the Middle Kingdom, uh, uh, Paul. I thought that was interesting when I saw it. I'm not sure how he's got that context out. Tariffs were the taxes that made America great. This is the part I wanted to get into. They were the taxes relied upon by the first and the greatest of our early statesmen before the coming of the globalist Woodrow Wilson and FDR. Tariffs to protect manufacturers and jobs 
were the Republican Party's path to power and prosperity in the 19th and 20th centuries before the rise of Rockefeller Eastern Liberal Establishment and its embrace of the British-bred heresy of unfettered free trade. Thank you for the musical interlude. Mm -hmm. The Tariff Act of 1789 was enacted with the declared purpose, quote, the encouragement and protection of manufacturers, unquote. It was the second act passed by the first Congress led by James Madison, Speaker. It was crafted by Alexander Hamilton and signed by President Washington. During the War of 1812, President Madison, backed by Henry Clay and John Calhoun and ex-Presidents Jefferson and Adams, enacted the Tariff Act of 1816 to price British textiles out of competition so Americans would build the new factories and capture the booming U.S. market. It worked. Tariffs financed Mr. Lincoln's war. The tariff of 1890 bears the name of Ohio Congressman and future President William McKinley, who said that foreign manufacture, quote, has no right to claim to equality with our own. He pays no taxes. He performs no civil duties, unquote. That is economic patriotism, putting America and Americans first. The Fordney-McCumber Tariff, Fordney-McCumber Tariff, gave Presidents Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge the revenue to offset the slashing of Wilson's income taxes, igniting that most dynamic of decades, the Roaring Twenties. That the Smoot-Hawley Tariff caused the depression of the 1930s is a New Deal myth in which American school children have been indoctrinated for decades. Smoot-Hawley Act, it's a real big deal. They try and hang everything on it. The depression began with the crash of the stock market in 1929, nine months before Smoot-Hawley became law. The real villain? The Federal Reserve, which failed to replenish that third of the monetary supply that had been wiped out by thousands of bank failures. Milton Freeman taught us that. A tariff is a tax, but its purpose is not just to raise revenue, but to make a nation economically independent of others. They don't like independence, you know. And to bring its citizens to rely on each other rather than foreign entities. The principle involved is a tariff is the same as that used by U.S. colleges and universities. They charge foreign students higher tuition than their American counterparts. What patriot would consign the economic independence of his country to the, quote, invisible hand, unquote, of Adam Smith in a system crafted by intellectuals whose allegiance is to an ideology, not a people or a nation? What a great nation did, what, good question right here, what great nation did free traders ever build? 
What great nation did free traders ever build? Free trade is the policy of fading and failing powers. Past their prime, in the half century following the passage of the Corn Laws, which I'm not familiar with, Paul, the Corn Laws, the British showed the folly of free trade. They began the second half of the 19th century with an economy that was twice that of the U.S. and ended it with an economy half of ours and and equaled by a Germany which had under Bismarck adopted what was known as the American system. Of the nations that have risen to economic preeminence in recent centuries, the British before 1850, the United States between 1789 and 1914, post-war Japan, China in recent decades. How many did so through free trade? None. All preached economic nationalism. The problem for President Trump, once a nation is hooked on the cheap goods, that are the narcotic free trade provides, it is rarely able to break free. The loss of its economic independence is followed by the loss of its political independence, the loss of its greatness, and ultimately, the loss of its national identity. Brexit was the strangled cry of a British people that had lost its independence and desperately wanted it back. Patrick J. Buchanan. That's a pretty good article, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm completely against free trade. Uh, the whole idea of it's a nonsense. Well, There's nothing free about it. It's gibberish. Well, that's right. It is. It's, it's Alice in Wonderland stuff, Okay, which I watched last Friday night again, by the way. Well, you know, free trade is basically the tool, is, is, is a primary tool amongst the traders for chewing up the substance of nations. Uh, and, of course, because it's got this word free in it, who could possibly exactly. object to the exactly. idea of free, open, decent trade? Of course, it's complete manure. If you look at the Chinese thing as well, okay, so now the idea of tariffs is that they would be portrayed in a bad way. But I suggest that this is a domino effect and the whole thing is set up to be this way in that well, – we know that uh, do we, we know that the Clintons, of course, shipped, and they're not the only ones, but they shipped masses of intellectual property over to the Chinese oh. to beef up their oh. industrial capacity, right? Okay, yeah. so they plundered the intellectual uh, wealth of America. They stole that. They sent that to the Chinese. This is all part of the globalist plan, obviously. It can't be part of anything else. So they then get beefed up. You become reliant upon them, or at least they become a major component in the, in the provision of, of goods, you know, the great... Uh, the, the huge um, shifter of containing tankers, those uh, containers around the world. And uh, we, this is a great, now you've got a great situation, create a dispute, which now, is what, what they want. What free trade the ingredients is, to create the friction for the dispute. I, I, for many years, have said that this is nothing we're dealing with but mercantilism under different labels, okay? And what free trade really is is an arbitrage of labor. They're taking an arbitrage in what those people have worked for through unions, whatever you think of them or whatever else, have built up their standard of living, and all of a sudden they're pitting them against somebody that will work for a dollar a day. You know, it's the old question, who you think is going to win that battle? 
okay? And then they come back in and they pay their cutthroat executives huge, unbelievably inflated salaries because now with all the extra profit, they've got huge advertising budgets that encompass now 40 or more percent of their total bottom line that they can put into that stuff to pay their executives more, to, to draw more of these psychopath bastards up into that position of power right. so they can continue to screw us. It's a, it's a self-perpetuating spiral. Hey, Daryl, welcome aboard today, buddy. Hey, I, uh, I, I couldn't help myself. You guys are... Digging deep into it here. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Daryl. Good to hear from you. Thank you for the link the other day, which I was watching. I am familiar with uh, Myron C. Fagan, so thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It it uh, it's good to review uh, some of these plans and patterns of the past. Uh, so, um, and he should be highly so commended. He should be highly commended. Excuse me, Daryl, but uh, this needs to be interjected. He should be highly yeah. commended for being of the Jewish faith, and just like uh, the other guy that did the, and I, his name escapes him, Mil, uh, Friedman. Those guys need to be applauded because that's Benjamin. they have got to they've got to stand up with on their own ranks and start pointing damn fingers. Nobody else can do it. They can't even do it. They'll even get called an anti-Semite, but they lose the legitimacy there. They've got to stand up and point out the wolves in their damn pack. So, I just well, want yeah. to add that. Uh, yeah, Benjamin, yeah, absolutely. Benjamin Freeman and Myron Fagan need to be uh, reviewed and studied and, and understood uh, from the 60s. And uh, uh, Benjamin Freeman's speech from the Willard Hotel, uh, if anybody wants to do a search on that, in 1961, and then Myron Fagan in 1967, and they lay it out. It, they, they just lay it out. So, um, you you're, you're, you're of, talking about, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Do you think instead of, uh, of building Holocaust memorials, they could start to build Myron C. Fagan and uh, Benjamin Freedom? Friedman memorials. What about that? You see that? Yeah, that would go down. That would go down I, quite well, wouldn't it? I, I, I would, I would really uh, appreciate seeing a uh, instead of a Holocaust museum, which, by the way, I've been to in Washington D.C. I would like to see a Anglo eugenics uh, uh, museum or uh, uh, monument. You know, Anglo eugenics of uh, World War One and World War Two, because that's that's what it was. It was uh, it was uh, white Christian eugenics. It was a Holocaust, but it was white eugenics, um, and ostensibly it was white people causing it. So, um, listen, you get you get the worst and the best out of that group. So, uh, this this thing about free trade, um, it kind of strikes on personal to me, in that. Uh, there's a reason why I don't build any custom Harley Davidson parts. And the reason I, when somebody asked me, I turn them flat down and I ignore them because I can buy all the really neat custom Harley parts I want from China at rates that I can't even buy the material for here. 
and uh, and of course they had. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm telling you, they, they just, uh, it's just like, I'm glad they don't make the parts that I do because I couldn't compete with them. And so, um, at, at any level, uh, due to free trade. And so when you use this term free trade and you guys hit on it and, and it's in that article too, that Roger read is that when people hear the word free, they uh, they don't understand the dialectic of that, yep. and which reaffirms why I have absolutely no interest in in the opinions of illiterates. And so, until you until you've taken the effort to to make yourself literate on any number of different topics, which this these conversations I help I hope help people do, you, your opinion is 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 irrelevant okay uh to to your own benefit it's your your own opinion is irrelevant to your own benefit and uh, until you until you become literate uh on on these uh definitions and applications so the the tariff it, see the, here's the inversion here's the dialectic again uh, we're off on this i'm sorry roger i'm on dialectics again the dialectic is during the time that the uh, the peoples uh, of the United States of America were uh, profitable and prosperous was when we had tariffs and they weren't taxed directly and personally. And when the, the money system and the legal system was switched, they uh, gave the benefits to uh, other producers and made you pay the tax. And so it's been a, uh, so they, they flipped the, the taxation relationship and they switched the law at the same time. And, oh, yes, by the way, how did they manage to pull this off? The thing that is very seldom ever talked about, they did it by international treaty. Yep. And you have to give Trump, you have to give Trump a little bit of credit. And I'm not a big, I've, I've, I've been pretty, I've been pretty neutral on this dude. Uh, yeah, I dooted him. Is... He did. He did go after the trade uh, international trade treaties, which are the origins of the usurpation, and and the thing that nobody talks about really, and you don't understand. But he gets it. So those trade treaties that he nixed in the early days of his presidency were what they are. That I, I put a lot of thought into this. They were the new global feuds. The corporations were now the manners, sure. okay? And what they were close to finalizing was the one where it usurped all of the country's sovereignty and turned it over to a board of appointed corporate directors with no right of appeal on their decision. We were very close to them closing that door, okay? And Trump did stop those. Um, I wanted to get into this today because of the discussion of it and what we're going to see in the as we go forward, and so people do have a little better understanding, Daryl. Um, but there was uh, remember yesterday or the day before I told you if you ever see the book Goodbye April Fifteenth to get it for your library up there. 
Um, that was, uh, uh, and it was a real formative book for me because it covered a lot and filled in a lot of, uh, pieces of the puzzle in the early days. And I ended up meeting Boston deep tea party at a couple of expos nice guy um in the middle of that book there was a cartoon replicated from a, i don't remember when it was 1870s 1880s maybe maybe even a little bit before that it was sometime in the 1800s and it was a cartoon of of congress especially the senate in a, in in the bottom of the pit there of the room it was full of alligators that was the cartoon. And the caption and what they're trying to get across was because there was so much money in the treasuries from the tariff system that they were actually afraid it was going to corrupt Congress. Okay. That, no. and, and that, so what you're dealing with, it seems to me, is, is nothing but mercantilism. You know, and that was in the early days of Europe, and let's say over there in some in Frankfurt, uh, they made shoes, and Stuttgart didn't want Frankfurt shoe salesmen coming down there on the weekend and putting their shoe salesmen out of business. Okay, and so uh, basically, that's the basis of mercantilism, and what they're doing with free trade is putting that word in there to give people tingles because it's one of the four most powerful words in the language. Okay, and then they uh, they're they're arbitraging the labor. That's all they're doing. It's arbitraging labor on mercantilism is all that free trade is. The best I've been able to conclude. Does that sound right to you guys? Yep. Yeah, those four powerful yeah, words, Roger. Those four powerful words. Is is beer uh, one of them? <laughs> I don't know. Probably over there in your place it is. Oh, by the way, Brian. Because I'm thinking, if you think about free beer, I'm thinking, you know, the whole world's going to come to a crashing halt around here. Well. But, yeah, no, it, it is a powerful word. And free, it's interesting. Free trade was one of the ones that tripped me up for years, actually, because you just, uh, you know, you look back on yourself when you were a bit stupid and weren't seeing things. And that was one of the things I didn't see for a long time. I wasn't really looking at it from that aspect. But you see, the whole system, of course, is intertwined. Once you realize that there's a corruption in one point, that the rest of the system has been designed to support, uphold, and obfuscate that corruption from casual glancing. Uh, I was looking at something even today about some sort of policy development organization over here for making Britain super and lovely, and it's all full of the sorts of people that I would run a mile from, to be, you know, if they came walking down the street. And none of them, of course, will have any idea at all about the fundamentals of banking or the production of money or the creation of it or any of these things. And you often end up listening to people waxing lyrical with all their policies and you go you know i'm saying can i just ask you a few basic questions you know do you understand anything at all about money and the answer of course invariably is no they don't um and it's a bit like having an engineer you know build an, a car engine for you and he doesn't know what a spark plug is you just go well this, this is really silly what we're doing here you know so that's part of it but well, it's uh, like Voltaire. I, I do think the thing with china I'll go back to voltaire yeah. real quick before we discuss let us define our terms <coughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I, the thing with China is that the, the, it smells like a really lovely setup to get some conflict going. So although absolutely tariffs are the way to go for everybody, as far as I'm concerned, uh, tariffs are, of course, the tool of the nation state. And seen as how they don't want that, <laughs> well, 
therefore these things are whipped out you know as and when they need to make me, use of things well, now let me give you that's the way in theory it's supposed to work and in the past in some situations it's worked like that but i was in a real nationalistic mm-hmm. country for nine years called argentina and what they do is they get all those tariffs coming in and then it gets corrupt up at the upper levels of government and through the really established and powerful union system down there. And it never gets down to mm-hmm. the people. And that's when economic nationalism doesn't work. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's, name, let's put a name on this corruption that we're talking about. In the private sector, you would call it embezzlement. In the in the government uh, section, you just call it uh, a deficit. You call it no. Let me tell you what you call it. You call it. And, you call it job security. Okay. Okay. Right. So, uh, I, well, since we're since we're throwing out uh, history's quotes here, let's let's go back to something Napoleon said. He was an important cat. And, and Napoleon's quote was that history is a set of lies agreed upon. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and this is, this is what we have to, we have to overcome in ourselves and, uh, our, our close, uh, our close fellows and family is, you know, it's incumbent upon us, you know, individually and the people that are listening and on this is to, uh, overcome these these false premises that have been established in your mind, and uh, so uh, because they, you know, they they're liars, okay. And I don't know how many more times you have to have this proven to you. Um, so, you know, Paul, earlier you were you were you, you and Roger were talking about Brexit, and uh, uh, if you. If you go back to, I'm gonna I'm gonna drag up uh, something a little off off to the side here, but I think it I think it's uh, <clears throat> explains a lot, and that's Australia. Okay, so um, Australia is uh, is that a part of the British Commonwealth? Uh, to your perception, Paul, uh, Australia. Ten, I, I suspect tenuously now. I mean, it probably still yeah. in law, it is, but in terms of being evoked, evidenced, communicated about, culturally remembered, no, it's not. It's on the wane. All of that, all of that is on the oh, wane. Okay. Darryl. Well, according to Darryl. according to the according Darryl. to you're real, you're yeah, real close ahead. to your yeah. speaker again. Yeah. Could you back it off just a little? Because I want oh, everybody to hear what you got to say. Yeah, I will. Okay. Is that better? Yes, thank is you. Is that better? Okay. So thanks, thanks for letting me know. I I, uh, I need the feedback. Um, according to the evidence, the uh, Australian um, government or the the, the nation, uh, the so-called nation state of Australia, is registered with the United United States Security and Exchange Commission as corporation, yeah. and it. It was done this, it, this was accomplished in the mid-60s, and it just so happens that that was during the time that Australian law transitioned, and 
it's it's pretty much decimated the uh, Australian uh, businessman and and the people directly. So there's um, there, there's a lot of evidence that, that shows that the Australian the so-called country of Australia is actually just a, a big uh, plantation floating out there in the ocean, and it's a uh, registered U.S. Uh, corporation. And yeah. and this this was done by treaty, um, and which Darryl. means means that the queen the queen in Parliament sold you down the river. Did did when their law changed? Did they sign on to that Unidroit Treaty? Because you know when that came up yeah, off of that's that exactly, video, that's exactly that's exactly when it happened. Okay. Uh, because yeah. I went and looked at that website, and there's not every country of the world signed on to that deal. And interestingly enough, Ecuador has no. not. I noticed. Uh, but I wondered if that wasn't the correlation. And for the audience, that's what is it? U N A D R O I T dot com is that close do you remember yeah yeah it's the uh yeah it's a that's it, a unidroid and uh, that's exactly what it is it's in italy it's about it's uh i know this will surprise you i you you'll find this shocking but it's about four blocks away from the vatican the oh, headquarters heaven forbid and <laughs> um yeah and it's a uh it's a uh Non-governmental organization concerned with uh, treaty, international treaty, and private law. Mm -hmm. Private law, which means okay. which so, means that everybody's jumping on board the law merchant again. That's all it is, right there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, all right. It, so, so this is this is the plan. You know, I would mm, I would proffer this idea to you, Paul, is that. They're fixing to consolidate uh, to uh, England, the island of England, the British, uh, uh, the exact same uh, scam that they pulled on uh, the Australians and New Zealand. So, yeah, they will be looking to do that. I mean, the the interesting thing with this, um, or an aspect, there's so many interesting things. As you were talking. I, the, the idea that um, deals can be done when at whatever point in the past where nations are supposedly, according to a few uh, agreement and document signers, transformed into corporations, um, is um, how to respond to that. Uh, if you take it seriously, which, of course, the problem is not so much whether we take it seriously or not. The problem is, is that a lot of people do. They're not going to see beyond that. The idea that other people can make decisions about my nation and think that it binds on me is, on one level, a joke to me. But that's because I have a certain perspective. I'm not alone in that. You just go, oh, that's good. Well, well done for getting together and signing <laughs> some documents and having some decisions about things. That's well well done. And well done for stealing all the money and running a banking system. But none of that's going to count now because we know what's going on. Of course, knowing is not enough because, although some of us know the rest of us that don't know inadvertently are in the way of recovering the, the situation, that they actually are part of the problem because of their, you know, we touch on this a lot, don't we? Because of the condition of not knowingness yep. that exists with so many people, they get in the way. They're actually the major problem. It seems like a very basic problem, and it is basic in terms of its structure, but it's major because of the scale of it. 
So they inadvertently work for the other side. Oh, you can't go around disrupting the banking system. It'll be it'll be ruined, will it? Are you sure? Of course, they're not sure about anything, but it's better the devil you know. So I've always found that, you know, I don't. I'm, there's a part of me that never gives credence to anything that the other side do, does. If I was there, I'd be a guy sort of throwing donuts at him and laughing and going, cut it out. You know, what, what do you think you're playing around at, you know? But, of course, I'm being flippant and silly. I, I understand that. But there is an aspect to it that's true. They're not to be taken seriously, but they are sort of indirectly able to take power because our side doesn't assert what is true and good for us enough. We don't do it. That's because they're, they're correct. The people in mass are a herd. I mean, I've come to that conclusion trying to get this out for so many years, okay? And in a in a sick sense, the, uh, sick, S-I-C-K, in a sick sense, they're correct, all right? Um, Daryl, you brought something to memory a minute ago out of my memory. It's only Napoleon quote I know, okay? And it said, I've learned a curious thing about men. They will die for metals. And he wasn't talking gold and silver. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Do you think there's only one quote I've got from Napoleon that springs to mind, which is um, not tonight, Josephine. <laughs> right, but that, that's. that's <laughs> That's things away from the topic a little bit. Yeah. I'm sorry to, to lower the level there. Bye. This thing about medals, right? Yeah. The thing about medals is, I mean, yeah. what, what's at the core of that? That is about being appreciated. Medals are recognition that you've made a contribution above and beyond the ordinary, and you are appreciated for it. And I would say, I'm not the only one to say it, but this drive, this compulsion to be appreciated is probably the primary compulsion that we all share. It's why we do things, you know, to some degree. Well, and I suspect that that's very much the driving force behind that. Brent has got it as he usually does. He's got that broken down to the most beautiful statement. He said, men want respect and women want love. To be loved. And love. I, and it just really sums it right up. Men just, you want respect, you know. Yeah, maybe women want a man that's respected as well. Oh, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, the, the society is well, not producing many of those because I, of the conditions. Well, the but, problem uh, is we don't even know still. what women and men are anymore in some instances. They're running all these transvestites oh. in on us. They're, they're sticking them in all these high-profile television shows. They're getting absolutely politically outraged and and they've got some political strength they got the damn media behind them i sent brian a uh, our friend brian that had me on monday night and i caught an article i was reading after the show reading like i do and i caught an article where this uh there's this preacher and i didn't catch his name from arizona i believe he's from and he Anderson. is par- pardon me anderson Anderson. steve Anderson. Okay, so yeah. you know about this. I might have sent it to you too. I, and he's uh, uh, for the audience. Well, you, why don't you tell the audience about it? Because you must have looked at the article. Well, Stephen Anderson is um, an interesting guy, actually. Uh, uh, he says things to me which are very, very close to many, many truths. He's slightly off on a couple of others. From my perspective, I don't want to come across as arrogant, but I think he's kind of out of whack with a couple of things. But he, he did a great video series about. 
uh, or he did a video about now what was it now i can't remember but it's about chris i think it was about christian zionism or some aspect of that and about the idiocy at the base of the whole thing so it was pretty accurate in many ways and he ended up talking to some rabbis and stuff like that and uh, it was uh, definitely in the sphere definitely more than one foot in the realm of politically incorrectness anyway because he operates uh under what we would term biblical law he's got he has said uh things about sodomites which um in today's politically queer atmosphere don't go down too well if you know what i mean so he was going to go to ireland um but he's but he's not now he's not going to ireland now in fact he's never going to ireland <laughs> he's never going to ireland uh, i think there's several other countries he's not going to he's built this great big chart behind him of countries that he's not going to go to but i saw him talk he said you know, really, he said, it's not as if I want to go to all these countries. I was just going to go and do some things with some people, uh, which would have helped. He said, I live in Arizona. He said, it's one of the most fantastic places in the world. He loves where he lives and all that kind of stuff, which is good because it looks as though that's about the only place he's going to, they're going to let him stay <laughs> for now. But uh, it, it's bad. And, and I, I, actually, I sent, I sent it to Bryza. I didn't get it from you, Roger. I got it from another source. But obviously, these things are all coinciding at the same time. And I sent it to, I sent it to Bryza. And he sent me a little message back. Um, I think it was overnight or something. In fact, if I could dig it up. Can I dig it up? Sure, Let me tell sure, you what he sure. said. Well, oh, yeah, just... he says this. He wrote back to, wrote back to me and he says, uh, yes, he's talking about this thing. Because the, the headline for the story was, anti-gay Arizona pastor Stephen Anderson becomes the first person, the first person ever to be banned from Ireland. So, hey, you know, that's going to look good on his pla on his plaque in Arizona. But still, this is what Bryza wrote back to me. He says, uh, yes, that doesn't surprise me. Since the gay marriage referendum here a few years ago, homosexuals have become a protected minority here with more rights than the rest of us. Oh, well, no surprises there then. Interestingly enough, the father of Charlie Flanagan, the so-called justice minister who banned this pastor was very critical of Jews and didn't want them in Ireland. His name was Oliver J. Flanagan. What happened to his Egypt, son, Egypt of a son, I wonder? <laughs> Indeed, Bryza. E Egypt, by the way, is spelled E-E-J-I-T for you Americans. It's, it's an Irish way of saying idiot. It's known as an Egypt, right? And uh, that's how it's said. So um, just to fill you in, give you a bit of colloquialism well, there. Well, I have a question. But yeah, so he's... Uh, He's I, have a, mark. I have a question. Yes. The fact that he's the only person that's ever been barred from Ireland, entering the country of Ireland, right? Yeah. Is that a low bar or a high bar? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I find what's you know I find what's happening here in England really uh, sickening, um, but in Ireland for some reason I find it even more sickening. I can't describe it. I and mean, then you'd think, well, I'm an Englishman and we all hate the Irish. It's complete rubbish. Um, uh, it's obviously it's the truculent ones at the top that have caused all the uh, all the ferocity between all this stuff. It's all a madness, right? But uh, Ireland, anybody that's familiar, okay, uh, you've got mythical pictures of Ireland, which were necessarily not necessarily completely true. But yeah, this was a racially homogenous place up until 20 years ago. Now that you know they've been overtaking, I, I, I just can't get my brain around this. Africans in Ireland who think they're Irish, it's oh my mad. God. Well, the whole thing's mad, and they're just overwhelming numbers. And they're turning into feral street gangs, you know. And, and what it shows you is everybody knows that the Irish are a combative people, you could say. But all of us, so the British have been, right, and so have the Americans. But what I'm seeing is that these, this pinching of the mind through political correctness subdues and demoralizes a people gradually. It takes about 20 yep. years. It takes about 20 years. 
And we are a demoralized people. We absolutely are here in these islands. They're demoralized. The Irish are demoralized that there's something chewing away so that the battery is not fully connected up. Interestingly, probably the only real forceful men left in the whole of these islands are in Northern Ireland who are, you know, who are still strong, but they'll find a way to break that down as well. This tactic, obviously, of uh, the barrage of the media and the, and the mind conditioning through repetition of lies is so effective, they just have to be patient for 20 years and get their own way. However, I'm not, I'm not uh, throwing my cards in just yet. We're not, we're not quitting just yet. We've got quite a way to go yet. I think this thing's still going to turn. I think he's in the process of turning myself. I do. I, I'm real so, optimistic. Um, I mean, I'm, listen, I've been in this almost 30 years, man, and I look back to the, the days it looked like when the Clintons were in control in the 90s. Man, there were no green yep. shoots back then. Okay. All they were doing was no. absolutely outright well, murdering people, Oklahoma City and Randy Weaver. And, and I remember when uh, the militia guys were called into that uh, Senate hearing. Feinstein was one of the senators up there, and they had that black militia guy from Ohio, and I've forgotten his name. Uh, I met him a couple of times. And uh, he got up in front of that panel, and he looked around. He said, well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm darn sure getting tired of being called a white supremacist. <laughs> and Muddy Vi- Diane Feinstein didn't even crack a smile. That face turned to stone-cold granite. Okay? So there were no green shoots back in those days. There was some humor. But we didn't have a lot of hope. We, I see stuff all around that's in, is positive now. Well, I have some. I have a green. Sh- I have a green shoot for you today. If you haven't seen it in the uh, in the news, uh, Roger and Paul, it's uh, yesterday in the state of Alabama. Yes, they uh, passed through legislation the outlawing of all abortions except in the one instance where there was a serious threat to the mother's life, that's the only exception. And the, uh, the punishment in this legislation, this new law to overturn Roe v. Wade is 99 years for the, uh, provider. So if a doctor performs a abortion, uh, the mother isn't up for punishment. The doctor is. 99 years. Of course, this is going to go to the Supremes, you know. Uh, maybe we'll get to find out where Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. Maybe she'll come out. So, but this is, that's a green shoot right there. That's a big deal. Saw the article. I was deal. very yeah, encouraged. The governor has not signed it yet, evidently. And, uh, but it appears with her leanings uh, from the past on this issue that she probably will. And I applaud the state of Alabama for that. Yeah, so uh, and they're going to absolutely that might be an opportunity to they're going to yeah. go apoplectic yeah. over it. You're correct. Well, they already have. Yeah. I've seen inc- I've seen video footage of young women going berserk over it. But you see, I mean, this is just it's this thing about being responsible well, with you know what God gave you if you're a woman you've got to be responsible with it and the idea that you cannot be that you can be irresponsible in that way is just doesn't work well uh, and of course this they, is just part of the overall attack on us why don't they just give women the right to walk down the street and kill anybody they want well 
Now that you mention it, Roger. That must have rang some chimes. Yeah, sure would be, (laughs) wouldn't it? Um, Daryl, I sent you something last night that I thought was very clever. And uh, by our my good listener, Jeff, who's been around for a long time. And uh, I think I copied maybe you on it too, Paul. Um, but uh, what he did, and I'm trying to find it here, if I can find it in my email, he rewrote the 14th Amendment. He's obviously been a very oh, yeah. good listener. He doesn't, uh, uh, he doesn't interact with us, call in or anything. He's just working and stuff like that. And we've been listening. He's been listening for a number of years, and now I can't get unseen to come uh, to come up with it's going to act slow on me here. Uh, and I wanted to read it. So anyway, he rewrote the 14th Amendment in a dialectic form. And it was very clever, I thought, and I wanted to talk about it, and I can't get up my master copy to read it right now. But as soon when it comes up, we can, we can get over to that. When, oh, they're, they're just going to cooperate finally. And uh, this could, I don't know if it can be tweaked or not, but it's very clever. And uh, Jeff's uh, rendition of the 14th Amendment to our way of thinking, or at least let's say with honest disclosure, little disclosure here. All persons, comma, ignorantly waiving claim to their God-given natural rights, comma, and voluntarily subjecting themselves as property to the jurisdiction of the United States, comma, are citizens of that jurisdiction, comma, having given their consent as the governed. I thought that was pretty good, didn't you, Daryl? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I got a, uh, I got a smile on my face, and uh, that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of cognitive discourse that we need to uh, ridicule and expose and jar people. Yep. And uh, so my, you know, my hat's off to him. So. Uh, well, excellent. I got some. I'm uh, very, I'm very honored and privileged and fortunate to have the listenership that we do and the people that this has touched and the ones that have taken the effort to learn it and apply it to their own lives in whatever degree they're comfortable with, okay? And I just applaud you guys, and we together make some sort of a formidable force. We may be small, but we're mighty. We got Excalibur, okay? Nobody else has got Excalibur, to my knowledge. So... Uh, I'm just tickled to death every day to go on the air and spend these two hours with you guys and, and start having these relationships that become so meaningful for me. And these two hours, for me personally, I get more uh, pride and and it gives my life more purpose than it's ever had before. And man, I can't tell you the joy of that personally. You can't buy it. I wouldn't charge well, you for it. You couldn't yeah. pay me enough for Let, it. Yeah. Well, Paul, I, I I appreciate that, Roger. And, and Paul, for what I'm about to say, I, I apologize because this is going to be uh, American-centric. Uh, oh. And But uh, I, I think it might have some interest. Uh, I'm not listening. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to... Uh, Roger just Roger just did a dialectic reading on the uh, the 14th Amendment, and I I want to go all the way back to the Constitution for the United States of America, 
and read the preamble. It's just one paragraph. And here it is. We, the people of the United States. Wait a minute. Stop. It didn't say the United States of America. It said the United States. And who are these people? It goes on to say, in order to form a more perfect union. A what? A union. What's a union? Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, spelled the British way, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Listen, that thing is just loaded with obfuscation. Talk about talk about driving a nine-inch spike in people's brains. That one paragraph, the very first, the preamble to the Constitution, people read it, have no idea what it means. Well, I'd ask a right question. There. That was what year? That's so 1776. 17 uh, approximately. No, this is this is this is the preamble to the Constitution, 1787. Okay, yeah. 1787. Yeah, okay. All right. So, but the the United States wasn't a corporation yet then. Um. Well, it was at not not in the form it is now. <laughs> no, it may have been it, envisioned it was, as one by some of them, yeah. but it was formally not until about 1871, I believe. It's when the incorporation papers for D.C. were written up, and according to Beecraft's <laughs> research, a couple of years later they were that was overturned and it was uh, uh, disassembled basically and didn't apply anymore. Now, he says that that means the United States isn't a corporation, but my answer to Larry is, well, why didn't they do away with the 14th Amendment then? It's singular. It says uh, subject to the jurisdiction thereof. That's a singular phrase. Yeah, well, I mean, in in U.S. Code in one thousand section, I, I wish Chris was here. I think uh, he 1000 is. One thousand and something. It it defines it defines the United States. <laughs> Hold it, there he is. Yeah, it, it defines <laughs> the United States as a corporation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's twenty eight three double oh two parenthetical fifteen. <laughs> yeah, U.S. United States is a corporation. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And see, here I thought he was over-preparing. I said, Chris is here. I, I said, Chris is here, and then I thought, no, he's over-preparing for his court case, and here he comes, you know. <laughs> Only Chris. Well, this, this, this kind of comes this, this kind of comes down to what is, what is your government? And nobody can answer this. The, the general the general population it's a very small minority even in this group of of thinking people have a hard time actually nailing down what is this thing and uh, go ahead yeah it's in the etymology of the word governmentum mind control yeah 
Well, yeah, okay. I, I mean, I appreciate that, and I'm fully on board with it. But how does that relate to me and my my subservience and deference to it? You know, okay, Daryl, and so. And I've yeah. thought about this a lot over the years. How I try to personally adhere to this is go back to common law principles and realize that I now get my rights from God and that I owe the duties. And I have a patriotic feeling for my country. You can't help but. But I have come to understand that my country now, to me, is more of a set of principles Okay, and the principles that are going on in my country now are pretty antithetical to the ones that that I take on, and so that's one of the another reason I decided to move because you can't vote them out, you can't do anything about it, and I just got damn tired of them killing women and children all over the globe in my name. Yeah, the United States, the United States is a company. Okay, it's a. It, it's it's an organization that provides services. It's a business. The United States is a business, and and you can't confuse the United States with your country. If you can, if you confuse, if you can. Hey, Chris, hold on a second, Daryl. Chris, stick your mute on. Please. Are we on? Yeah, hold on. I got to get Chris's mute put on because we're getting all that ambient noise. So please go ahead. And I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm on mute. Okay. I'm so, uh, so uh, if if you confuse the the government of the United States with your country, you, you don't have a you don't have a uh, a viable working relationship and and knowledge in in your relationship to them. I don't confuse my country with the government. That's the first thing you have to unhook from your brain. You got to pull that spike out of your brain. They are not your country. They are a business providing a service. Hence, you have the United States management company providing services for the United States of America, and the Constitution is their operating agreement for that business relationship. And uh, you really, that, that really unmasks them. And so originally, a, a government uh, operated as a business. It was a public indentured trust. All right, and and then uh, later on, after the Civil War, to bring in the civil rights and the usurpation of law, it, it became a corp, a incorporation. But it's a business. It's a union. What's a union? It's a trading union. It's a federal. It's a federal trading union. What has what has the the, the British uh, model promoted all over the world, Paul and and Roger? A federation, federation of trading unions. It's a business, and it's a business. and the business was established in agreement by the states in this in this place to provide services. Okay, and 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 we we lose sight of this, and this is what they're saying in the preamble, and 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 we the people, those people, ain't you. They ain't you. They never was. They wasn't meant for you. You see, that I constitution think, doesn't apply to you. Yeah, it, yeah. always that that little short word, uh, Daryl. We, 
I, I banged on about it yeah. here before. We, whenever that word is used, you got to, you actually, we never do. We, we never do, right? You have to back up and go, who is included in this we? Who is it that we are yeah. referring to? And who's doing the referring? Exactly. And all this kind of stuff. And, yeah. and it's right there at the point, all the confusion goes away. Like I've said here before, some of, we are going to save Britain. I'm going, who is we? Everybody that lives there, well, we, then that we can't do that. Because a lot of people that live in Britain aren't Britons. Well, you know, and then right. oh, we can't say, and all that kind of stuff. We go, well, we, I had it with with some of the other day. They said, well, it don't mean that. I said, look, either we use the dictionary or we don't. If we don't, right, we're on our way to hell much, much quicker than we're currently going, right? I would really <laughs> suggest you hang on to the dictionary, right? It's about the last vestige of clarity we've got, and we need it. And But people go, oh, it doesn't mean that. I'm going, it doesn't mean what you think it means. What you think is irrelevant. What I think no. is relevant. If you don't understand definitions clearly, and you can, we can understand definitions clearly, because it, that's you know that's the dialectic confusion. Oh well, what you know, it's like with Clinton saying it all depends on the definition of what is is or whatever it was. He said. Yeah, no, is you is. Go, is. Bill, that, that's well, exactly, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Exactly. Hey, well, I got a, I got a welcome. Uh, I got to welcome a uh, new uh, guy here that's a friend of Paul's and it's a friend of mine now, and it's Briser. And I was on his show. He was listening, to Paul, and said he wanted to join us. So. Here he is. Hey, hey, Bryce, how you doing, man? Hi, Roger. <clears throat> how, how you doing, guys? Uh, yeah, I've been listening. Great show. Very enjoyable. Nice to talk, Bryce. You're no yeah, friend of mine, though, are you? Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, told no, him, no time I told him on the air. For the show, Paul said, well, when you get on there, tell him that I said he was going to get drunk and beat you up. So I didn't get that in until the very end, but I slipped it in at the end, Paul, because I didn't want to besmirch you. That's good. I've got and, that day to look forward to. We'll, well, we'll, we'll do a video report when it happens. Okay, Graham, we'll get a full video report. And Graham said that's yeah. only on Tuesdays. And since this was Monday, it didn't apply. <laughs> yeah, he's right. Yeah, um, I was listening earlier that um, that link that uh, both you guys sent to me about that pastor in Arizona, you know. I had yeah. to just do a bit of searching on this guy, Oliver Flanagan, who's the father of the justice minister here now, it's Charlie Flanagan. And this is a quote that he made back in 1943. So you can imagine this was during the war. And Ireland was neutral during the war. <clears throat> but there was obviously an act of parliament that was being made. And Oliver, obviously, uh, Oliver Flanagan didn't agree with it. And this is what he said. Very, very interesting what he said here. I was just thinking, why don't we have politicians like this now? And he just said, uh, how is it that we not see any of these acts directed against the Jews who crucified our Savior, Jesus Christ, 1900 years ago, and who are crucifying us every day of the week? How is it that we do not see them directed against the Masonic Order? How is it that the IRA is considered an illegal organization while the Masonic Order is not considered an illegal organization? There's one thing that Germany did, and that was to rout the Jews out of their country. And until we rout the Jews out of our country... It does not matter a hair's breadth what orders you make. Where the bees are is the honey, and where the Jews are, there's the money. Wow. Interesting. Wow. You need to get him back. Get him back. Can we get you some know, DNA? We have to resurrect the man. Can we get <laughs> some DNA and clone him? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, I'm, 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 I'm a beat. Yeah. 
I mean, it's interesting he uses bees and honey because it's a big Masonic symbol, isn't it? They're always using uh, bees. You know, the, po- oh, the Pope's yeah. running around with that beehive hat on. They're sending right. out little messages. We're going to turn you all into little worker drones. Right. And you know, that's that's the whole idea. They're little, and they're all up there cackling away. You know, whatever they're doing, saddos. Well, you know, but um, I mentioned yeah. yesterday, Paul. And I don't know if you know this. I don't know if Breiser's heard it before. The president that took over for FDR was Truman. Okay, and he had been a hat maker from from uh, Missouri and uh, Kansas City, I think. He owned a haberdashery and somehow got into politics. He was thirty third degree Mason, but he was the one that did all the green light stuff for Israel. Okay, he he was coming up to his yeah. second election when when FDR died, they put him in because he's VP, and then he had to run again. So when he was running, he was running against a guy out of Chicago named Dewey. And it looked like Dewey was going to win. That's when they had the false newspaper. Dewey wins the presidency and, and Truman won it the next day. Well, it was a million dollars in cash delivered to his railroad car that gave him the extra money to beat Dewey at the last minute. So he was beholden to him big time. Okay, And so as they went mm-hmm. through the 48 stuff, his vice president in his biography later wrote that Truman turned to him, whatever the discussion was, and he said, look, Jesus Christ couldn't satisfy him 2,000 years ago. What do you expect me to do? <laughs> yeah. Very candid, well, very candid but I, uh, yeah, statement. Well, okay. you know, but uh, that was 1943, you say, Bryce? Well, 48, I believe, somewhere around in there. A good time to be alive in Ireland, it seems. Oh, 43 yeah, yeah. from there, yeah. That There's was... obviously a lot of people clued in back then, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, they could see, I suppose, in many ways, because Ireland was neutral and it was, it, I think it was, kind of, it was quite friendly towards the Germans in many ways. A lot of people were back then, you know. And back in World War One too, in particular, you know, they were, um, they were, they were, um, very pro-German, but and I think it was just because it was yeah, we saw the crown as the enemy, so they kind of sided with the Germans that maybe if they if we stick with them, maybe things would work out better for us here. You know, you should have invaded us from the west. It would have been great. We'd have all turned money. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> so yeah, it's just interesting. You know, while yeah. they were, you could have gotten stuff them. Is being just you could have under the carpet. You, you know, could have gotten them while they were distracted the other direction, Riser. You missed your opportunity. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a there was a plot back in the ni- in um, in nineteen sixteen where a guy called Roger Casement, where he was over negotiating with the Germans to bring you know, to bring German troops in to help fight the Irish cause at the time, and uh, unfortunately. Um, the uh, the traitors around the ranks, uh, you know, spilled the beans and the it it all it didn't work out. So you can imagine if the Germans had come into Ireland from the west, well, that could have been a totally different story then, couldn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know? Been absolutely. And it was and it was in 1916 too, which was kind of a pivotal year because that was a time, Paul, as you'd know, that Britain was pretty much on its knees then. We were done just for. about to surrender. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, goose was well and truly cooked at that point. <laughs> but that thing where you were, when you were saying that people knew what was going on back then, you know, we think, or oh, there's there's certainly a sort of convention currently where people think, well, we have access to all this information and stuff, that, so therefore we know a lot more than people in the past. Uh, this may be true in terms of volume, 
of information or access to it. But many people actually don't really know anything worth knowing in the sense that all the, in many cases, much of this modern technology is just a distraction system. And, and without distraction systems, people's common sense <laughs> you that old chestnut it is much more in flux. People sniff a rat instantaneously in conversation. They used to smell oh. it. Quicker. They used to know when someone was pulling one over on them very quickly. They didn't need oh. to go on the internet and check it out for psychological traits or this, oh. that, and the other or anything like that. They go, hey, stop that. It used to be a much more direct situation because people oh. know when they're in a face-to-face -face confrontation with the other side or with someone trying to put one over them. Now everything's become sort of so distant and controlled with us all in our boxes, current, you know, houses and stuff, that you can begin to see it. So there's an arrogance of current generations thinking that they know best when in fact what they do know is the very stuff that's actually you know putting them in the prison even further unfortunately in many cases not all cases but in many cases i think that that's true yeah paul they they've been they've been educated past their intelligence that's right yeah you don't need half this stuff it's just too much clutter it's a bit like a hard drive you go the computer's slowing down i've often said this about you know they say old people don't have a good memory and i've said this is rubbish what happens is that when you're 16, there's nothing on your hard disk, not much. So it's very easy to retrieve what's there. It's very easy to retrieve what's there. You get to 60 and 50, right? It's crammed to the gunnels with stuff. You're bursting. And somebody says, oh, I can't remember that name. Why? Because I've got 6,000 names in my head, and my file retrieval system ain't what it used to be. So it's not a memory thing. It's more like a sort of, whoa, have I acquired too much junk information, and how do I get rid of it? You know, it's a bit like flushing it away, but... Um, yeah, they have been over yeah. there well, to some degree. Yeah, it's it, it's it's very important for us to be able to uh, uh, triage information. And so earlier, Roger was using the word arbitrage, which is a a great concept that people aren't really familiar with it. And triage uh, is a very important uh, word as well. And so when you can uh, when you use critical thinking a lot of critical uh, practice your critical thinking you can triage you can you can pick the winners pick their survivors uh, triage comes out of was used in the civil war and on the european battlefields before they had uh, good medical treatment they would only pick out the the wounded that they thought they would survive they they picked the winners and losers so mm -hmm. they would triage them and and I do that with information. So, uh, but you have to you have to be able to know the the difference between chickens and ducks, and and the more you it's it's a learned it's an acquired skill. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. Triaging information. That's I see it happening here all the time. Well, we try to. Ar that word arbitrage is a fancy word, and all it means is pitting one against the other. You can, you can, in in the instances we were talking about earlier, they're arbitraging labor. They're taking the guy that was making twenty-two fifty or thirty-five fifty an hour and shipping his job to Mexico and paying him eight or ten dollars, maybe even less. Okay, but you can also arbitrage interest rates and stuff. That's the way. One of the ways the R the Rothschilds became so blasted wealthy in the early days is they would arbitrage the time zones and the interest rates. 
they could do it even because they had the ability to do it back then. Other normal people couldn't, but they could. And they built up a lot of their tremendous fortune simply from arbitraging time zones and interest rates. As the sun would go around and move from, from market to market, they'd sit there and arbitrage them all 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So it's just merely pitting, yeah. pitting one against the other with one of those fancy Harvard words attached to it. Yeah, well, that's, that's what traders do. Traders arbitrage. And uh, so th- this, whole, this whole word construct of arbitrage, triage, and then there's other ones, cabotage, sabotage, these are all very interesting words. If if you want, anybody wants to take the time to look them up, <laughs> they're interesting words. Which which gives rise to the idea: what comes first, your concept of something or the word? Does the word cause the understanding of a concept, or do you perceive something and then you invent a word? This is why language is so important. I, I use it all the time in engineering because I engineer things. I actually create things from brand new from scratch and i i take disparate different ideas and a word and it will allow me to find a pathway to creating something uh machinery or a design and and so language is the driver language is the driver um and let me throw uh, it's let me throw Karl yeah. Marx in here for you because it's right around what you're talking about. And a quote I saw early on, uh, a, a, a word is the skin of a thought, like a grape. And the way I understand it is that you could substitute concepts for thoughts there. And what we do to communicate is use words that identify those concepts or thoughts. And that's why it's so damn determinate that both of us have the same concept when we're using a word to identify it. So before we negotiate, let us define our terms. Absolutely. And that's why when I saw that, I said Voltaire knew who these guys were. Okay. I might observe. Yeah. So, hold it. Chris is going to observe on us. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Well, the word term language, I think, comes from lingua rage, the tongue's rage, which we speak words with. And the power of thoughts expressed through the spoken word can be very deceptive. It can be truthful. It can be accurate. It can be confusing. It can equivocate. Uh, track a tactic used by non-Christians to deceive Christians. Uh, these are really critical concepts for diligent critical thinkers who really want to seek the truth to be aware of and cognizant of, to apply these skills of discernment and to know the meanings of words and the multiple meanings of words is critical. Thank you. Uh, Paul, I don't know if you heard, I went Friday night, I was sitting around here and I stumbled in a Disney thing and I was watching it and it referred back to uh, Alice in Wonderland and that was what the the work, the production that turned Disney's corporation around evidently. And so I said, well, I'll just go back. I, mean, I know about all that. I understand what's in it. We use it here all the time. But I went back and watched the film. Have, 
I don't. If you ever get a, a, a little while and you're not doing anything, you may want to go back and watch that. It's very interesting now that we know what they're saying, and to see how they played it out through the this, whole thing. Yeah, you're talking about the Disney version, the cartoon yes, version. Yes. Yes. I remember seeing it when I was young and being not entertained by it. It didn't entertain me. It was. I remember being irritated with it a lot. Um, I'm finding it uh, cold as a as a thing. It wasn't funny at all to me. I often found a lot of Disney things not really amusing. I have to say this because they all seemed a bit restrained. I'm not saying the animation wasn't fantastic. And some of the storytelling, of course, in the actual classic films, the movies did it is brilliant. But um, I was I was just a hoodlum. I preferred Warner Brothers and Wiley E. Coyote and Tom and Jerry, I'm afraid. It was just the violence and the and the hammers that I required as a small boy were much more important. <laughs> Particularly yeah. the hammers and that that oh, yell, yeah. the, the yell that Tom used to give out. That whoever did that is one of the <laughs> finest recorded yells ever. It well, just goes on, doesn't it? Like, ah, it's just brilliant. Well, and I used to just that was the best bit. That was the best. Sorry, I'm a basic guy. Yeah, sorry, Daryl. He's reverted back to I, his I, childhood. I, I, I want to. I want to offer. I want to offer Paul a, an idea of why that was irritating to him and why it wasn't entertaining because it might have been entrainment, not entertainment. And you were being entrained and you were subconsciously resisting the entrainment. And yeah, it felt, uh, it feels false. That, you see, I don't like the Alice in Wonderland story, I don't like it. There's something I don't find it warm. I like I think I find Winnie the Pooh warm, right? I think that's good. I think some yeah. of those classic tales are great. I like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They've got heart in them. Didn't feel that way about Alice in Wonderland. Very strange, I thought. Um, and yeah. uh, although, but Lewis Carroll's an interesting guy. You he know? is. Uh, he was an interesting guy. Uh, I like I, particularly the vicious poem about the carpenter and the walrus talking to the oysters before they eat them. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's really sort of there's there's something, but there's something vicious oh. and nasty in his stuff. There's something dark in it. Even that, you know, they're talking to these lovely little oysters and then they just eat them all. And I'm going, oh, as a, as a young child, I want to like that too much. Don't eat the oysters. Oh, that's a especially, bit off, you know? especially. I can't get used to that. Especially in a month that doesn't have R in it. Uh, Samuel's joined us here. Samuel, oh, how yeah. you doing, man? You got any comments on eating oysters or Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> no, but uh, uh, on the efficiency of government, uh, give you a little news from my neck of the woods here, in Northern California. Um, even our local news is not covering it, but uh, they did a $1.2 billion fix to the spillway on Orville Dam. And the thing leaks from head to toe, and uh, they ran it uh, early in April, and they were going to say they're going to run so much water through it, and they shut it down early. And it would appear that the plates are already buckled on it, and the dam is 900 feet high and there's 889 feet of water in it and we're having a storm come through right now and i'm thinking that the people that live below that thing two million people Mm. should be let know what goes goes on i mean Mm. it's a it's a potential tragic thing It, it would destroy i think the economy of the country 
I think that's the intention. Run for us. Yeah, that might be, as Pryser said, that might be what they're doing. Um, well, that's oh, not. And, well, and they say that when they, they, they say when they let this spillway run, um, and it, they only ran it up to, I think, 6,000 um, uh, cubic feet per second. It's capable, it's supposed to be capable of 260,000. But when they run water through it, it creates mini earthquakes. Oh, Lord. Yeah, up to one point. One point. Point A, point one were the biggest ones, but uh, the National Geological Survey, the guy that commented, said there's like 20,000 quakes in that area, mini quakes. Mm. Well, yeah. Samuel, you, might be, do you, you don't live below the spillway, I trust. I, I wouldn't. I would never pick a, a place like that. No, I'm okay. up in the foothills. Um, but um, they say that this this dam's got cubic cubic miles of water behind it. Mm-hmm. If it went, it would it would flood down half halfway down the state, down the Yosemite. Good grief! Well, there's from from it the standpoint, break, it would probably destroy the delta. The, the delta is full of small levees and stuff like that that were built by the Chinese. And, you know, 1900-ish, that whole thing is um, held back by these levees. It would, if it if surge comes in there big enough, it would destroy all that as well. Well, I know that dam was in the news here a few years back because it was in danger of collapsing or something at some point. So they've buttressed it up and they did a bad job. Is that basically what I take from this? Yeah, what the state didn't do is the maintenance on it, and they didn't think, oh, because of, you know, uh, global warming and everything would ever fill up again. Well, um, that maintenance turned into a $1.2 billion fix when it would have been a few hundred thousand dollars to maintain it. Um, On this shoddiness of workmanship, Daryl, did you see the story? About the uh, F-35, the they, the re- reports coming back on the one that crashed over in Buford about a year ago. Do you know what made that multi-million dollar airplane crash? I mean, I'm sure you do, but for the audience, was a fuel line that ruptured and the engine ran out of fuel. It was a cheap-ass government contractor that didn't manufacture a fuel line properly to specifications that cost an entire airplane. Yeah, well, I mean, any any changes chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And uh, so, um, yeah, that's a... That's uh, that's there's another boondoggle for you. Yep. Uh, these are you, so. And, uh, and but you see, because it, everybody's it lost, they've lost pride in what they do, and everybody's after bottom line greed, money, money, money. Take every shortcut that you can possibly take to put every single stinking penny you can back into my pocket. 
That's what's going on. And the dam out there at the Oroville Dam and these jets and the Boeing situation and all this stuff, and, and you, you wonder why our country's going down. It's because of this attitude. Now, to me, all of it goes back to the debt monetary system. Let's say almost all of it because some of it is inherent in man, okay? But the debt monetary system promotes all of this sickness in all these areas. Insatiable greed and the lust for money. Yeah, well, um, I, I I think you covered that really well. Uh, do you do you see those sort of things over there in uh, in jolly old England, Paul? Is that prevalent? Well, Dan, is that work Dan's ethic over there? Dam's about to burst, Daryl. Did you mean? No, you probably didn't. Mean <laughs> no, well, yeah. Well, I, I the, uh, the, the work ethic. The work ethic. Uh, how about well, the British work ethic? Well, it still exists. I think it's. I think. It, I don't know whether it's British. I think it's a racial work ethic. Really, um, we've become sort of slightly slothful over here. The culture has got soggy. It's not like it used to be. It used to be crisper in many ways. But you know, this is all part of the sort of everything's just got. Bleh. I can't describe. You know, yeah. of adjectives to describe it. But it's there's culturally things are vacuous i feel as though nearly half of the stuff that's made available is just bogus it's all bogus i mean i'll give you a silly example i'm going slightly off topic uh for, for years i i've watched formula one motor racing did i bang on about this a few months ago but i was reminded of it again the other day i i think that i've got a sort of psychosis taking place and i don't think i'm alone what i actually think is happening is that people watch that and they're not really watching what's in front of them. They're actually connected to a memory of how great it used to be. And they're watching it. This is me. And I'm watching it thinking that it's going to burst out again, that it's going to actually turn out to be this dramatic, amazing, silly sort of thing that used to really enthrall me. And it never, ever does. And I feel that way about loads of things. I think everything's kind of bogus. I mean, currently we've got this, um, they've got this thing called the Eurovision Song <laughs> Oh, I want to it's, know about this. Most, yeah, yeah, it's the tackiest. It's the most atrocious piece of tack ever ever nailed on. It's you can tell it's a top-down piece of garbage. It's just it's got no roots to it. It's completely idiotic. And now they've got oh. transvestites performing in it. Just it's absolutely marvelous. You know? And then a bloke dressed up as a woman in Aust from Austria won it a few years ago. But the, the thing is the way that everybody talks about it. People are into that. They don't talk about work and producing things uh, and all that kind of stuff. I think the other thing as well, just going back to this thing about greed or, or an observation about greed, I think that obviously exists. But I think there's something else that, that's, that's present as well in people's sort of behavioral patterns, which is a compulsion to not be last almost. Uh, uh, the, the sort of as, – as you go further up the so-called food chain – of, of those people that are in the system. Um, the intensity and their proclivity for corruption increases yep. um, because it's not so much that they want all that stuff, it's that they don't want you to have it. It's not that they don't need any more yachts. I mean, I used to have this, oh, it's, it's to make money. I'm going, no, 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 it can't be. I said, stop back. I mean, stand back and think about it. It's not just to keep making money. It's not. If from from the perspective of people possibly like ourselves, I don't want to sort of, you know, presume anything here, but someone like myself who's come from not much money, you know, I said we got that phrase, I started off with nothing and I've still got most of it left. And 
that's kind of, kind of the thing. I've, I've heard yeah, this from other the people. The they go, uh, oh, no, they're after money. I'm going, no, 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 they're not. They're not after, that's not what they're after. They're, what they want to make sure is that nobody else gets more money than them. And it's this sort of weirdness that takes place. It's weird. They're very unhealthy and weird. And unfortunately, we end up getting governed by these people. I don't, I don't see a problem with an elite. The problem is, is that the ones that we get are hostile. That's because become the, hostile the good people the, can never win in this in these systems because the person that has moral no. and ethics will not pass a certain point, and the psychopath that craves that power will do anything to get it. They're always right. going to win. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So, I mean, should we well, even address? Should we even address the idea? Of trying to win in this system, I've, I've, what, what happened to me was about five or six years ago, I just stopped. I began the process of stopping engaging with all of that, and for some reason, my life's worked better. <laughs> I've not focused on I must, I must, I must. I've gone. This is mad. This is mad. I don't need to. I don't need to be involved with this. This is not important. There's no real wealth in it. Actual wealth. There's money in it. There's money in it, yeah, if, you, if, you, if that's what you're after. And I know that when you're young, I mean, I've got this going on with my sons. Dad, how, I do, how do I do this? Where should I do this to make money? I'm going, okay. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of keen for them to come a cropper a bit. <laughs> I sound like a terrible dad, don't I? But I, I, just, I, I just want them to have a few knocks to see that this is not what – it's really not what it's about. And it's no future for the type of people that we are. That's what I feel. It's not what we would choose. The, this excessive, rampant – economic madness is literally a virus it's a disease and it's a bit like uh it's like being a, i suppose not that i am one but i guess it's a bit like being a crack addict every time you, you have to have a bigger lump next day to get the same hit and that's what these money guys are like money jerky no this yeah. money jerkies they put ekg they put ekg machines on these guys that are stock traders and when they hit a big deal, the same exact part of the brain is stimulated as if they snorted a line of cocaine. And they do get addicted to it. Okay, But take it back. Let's take it back the other way. Instead of modern, let's look ancient. And right there in the Bible, it says the love of money. Not money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Why? Because it transcends the value of the money and takes on the personality of the person acquiring it that wants to be your God. Yep. Uh, oh, it's mammon. Uh, yeah, it's uh, mammon. We talked about earlier in the show with free trade. You know, free trade indeed is, is killing our nations. You know, oh, I'll absolutely. give you a good example here in Ireland. We've probably heard of um, Waterford Crystal. You know, it was world-renowned uh, crystal, yeah. and um, it was exported far and wide. And it was a huge industry in Waterford, which is a city on the south coast of Ireland. That was all sold off, and I believe now it's been manufactured in Poland. You know, so you've got all these craftsmen now who've just just dumped on the scrap heap. Um, you know, all these cottage industries that we used to, that used to flourish are all gone now. And, and we, now what we see is Starbucks, McDonald's, all the usual. And they're the backbone. Now. And those, those, those propri sole proprietorships like Daryl and others, those are the backbone of an economy. It ain't the big businesses yeah. the backbone. It's those people. Yeah, to, to try and start up a small business here now is a nightmare. You know, you're going to be taxed to death. You have to uh, you have to conform with all this health and safety nonsense, and it's it's really is it's crucifying people. 
Change your status. We're going to get your status changed. You won't have those problems. And that's the answer to all this is removing yourself from their system. Okay, we're not bitching. We're not fighting from the bottom up. We go to the top to up and we slit their throat at the top and we go about our lives. Okay. It works. Well, Daryl, does well, it work? I, I got here's a question a guy, for Bri- Here's one of my yeah. better students right here. Does it work, Daryl? It it uh, it works wonderfully well, and it's very empowering. Well, I, I have a question for Paul and and our Irish friend there. Uh, I've observed. I, I wanted to see if it's tr- uh, this is true over in in your part of the world. Uh, I've observed here that the legacy of the '60s drug, sex, and rock and roll is fat, dumb, and unhappy. <laughs> is, is that is that what's or dead? Is, is dead? You know, it, that's that's. Because I, I look around, I look around at people my age and older that came out of that period, and they were all talking about love and peace and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and they're all fat, dumb, and unhappy now. So I was just wondering if if that uh, if that happened over there. I think it did. So. Yeah. Like it did. Okay. Well, we we were kind of behind the scenes because I think here in Ireland we're, we were kind of quite a Catholic conservative society. We kind of shunned that a bit, you know. But certainly in the seventies and eighties, we kind of caught up. And sure, now we're seeing a lot of yeah. fat, dumb, and happy people here. Yeah. Can, can you give me that? Can you give me that that uh, that honey and bees quote again? I, I want to write that down. That was you. Yeah. You went by me on that. It was really good. I, I want to hear the bees and honeys again. I need to paste yeah. it in. Right, you need yeah, to stick I'll, it. In. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just paste it in. Yep, I'll shoot it to you. Just make sure that Daryl doesn't. Yeah, we yeah. get it, but make sure that Daryl doesn't get a copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold on. No, that's no. You send. <laughs> sorry, you send. Wayne, you, Wayne to you. You send that no, no, copy Wayne to. Wayne can have a copy. Yeah, you send Darryl it to guy. Wayne. He's a menace. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Hey, listen, good show today, Paul and Breiser. Thanks for joining us and Chris and and, and Samuel and, of course, Daryl. And good stimulating discussion. And we'll be back tomorrow. And Lord knows what we'll talk about, but we'll talk about something. And it'll be important. And I believe it'll be sex and rock and roll. We might talk about that tomorrow. (laughs) I'll see you all then. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.